0: there was a Sunday school teacher who had been talking to a class of eight-year-olds for several weeks about the Ten Commandments, and they'd been going through and learning them, and at the end of this lesson, this section of lesson, she wanted to review and see if the kids could remember what they had talked about. So she said, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to say the first commandment, then we're going to go around the room and each of you uh, tell me what comes next. She said, the first commandment says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt in the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Next little girl said, you shall not worship an idol. The next boy in the circle said, "Uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And around the room they went until they came to the eighth commandment. And the little boy's mind suddenly went blank. And the teacher smiled at him and said, "Uh, let me give you a hint. It has four words. And the little boy brightened up, and he said, keep off the grass. <laughs> now, the eighth commandment is actually, thou shalt not steal. And many of you are saying, well, Roger, I know that one, and I'm actually pretty good at uh, keeping that one, so do we really need to talk about this this morning? But as we turn in our Bibles to Ephesians four twenty-eight, what we're going to see is God talks about this, and it's why we're looking at it this morning. He says in Ephesians 4:28, "Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that, they may, that he may have something to share with him who has a need." Now as we think about this subject of stealing, uh, many of us picture something like what you see up on that slide, a mass bandit robbing a bank. and And we think that's what stealing is, But stealing encompasses a lot more than going in and simply robbing a bank. There was a a picture painted by Leslie Thrasher for the old Saturday Evening Post. And as you look at this picture, you see that everything looks uh, innocent enough at first until you notice their hands. (laughs) And here you see there's a a lovely older lady who's uh, weighing a piece of poultry and she's pushing up on the bottom of the scale. And as you look at the butcher, he's also gingerly pushing down on the scale. Here are two individuals who are both attempting to steal. Cecil Meyer says of this picture, both the butcher and the lovely lady would resent being called thieves. The lady would never rob a bank or steal a car, and the butcher would be indignant if somebody accused him of stealing. And yet if a customer gave him a bad check, he would call the police. But neither saw anything wrong with a little deception that would make a few cents for one, Or save a few cents for the other. Now that's a pretty good summary of how many of us see this issue of stealing, isn't it? Robbing a bank is bad. We know that's wrong. But fudging a little. Like when we're in the line of a cafeteria and you take a butter pat that's five or ten cents and you slip it under your napkin so the cashier won't charge you for it. Or you ask for a water glass, but then you go over and fill your cup with Uh, a soda or iced tea. Is that stealing? You know, it's come to the point that taking things without paying for them is so pervasive in society that it's really just come to be accepted by many, unless, of course, we're the ones being victimized. It's illustrated by a woman who complained to her husband about their housekeeper who had just stolen uh, their new towels, And the husband said, she took the towels? Which ones? And the lady said, well, you know, the ones we got at that nice hotel last week. (laughs) Here's a question for you. If you steal something from a thief, is it stealing? Now, now how many of you, as I said that, immediately went, hmm, I I have to consider that question. Friends, this isn't a, a trick question. It's, it's black and white. Stealing is stealing. God says, this isn't a gray area. It says plainly here, he who steals must steal no more. Now, I want you to remember the context that we're reading this. This is in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians was a letter written, as we saw back in Ephesians 1.1, it was addressed to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. These are Christians faithful believers, people who were standing for the Lord. Do you remember the setting of Ephesus? It was a large cosmopolitan city, the temple of Diana, the pagan center of worship. Uh, this, was, this was a banking area. This was a, a large cosmopolitan city that, that had uh, lax morals and all kinds of things that were happening. And so the society of the day said, you know, stealing, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, in fact, it was defined, it, it was said the pagan philosophies of the day said stealing was only wrong if you got caught. Does that sound familiar? It, it was something taught by the Spartans all the way back 1000 BC. They, they would applaud the skill of a man who could go into your home and take something of yours and escape unnoticed. The Epicureans, another group held a cunning thief in high regard. They called it a virtue if you were able to steal and not get caught. Do you know anybody like that? Do you know anybody who brags to you about how they're able to uh, cut corners, steal things, get away with stuff? You know, our society as a, as a whole maybe has an elevated stealing to the same level that it was in that day, but much of what we're reading about is what we see in society today. Shoplifting in America costs retailers over $6 billion a year, $6 billion It's been estimated that one out of every 50 customers uh, take something, at least one item, without paying for it. Now, I could share with you hundreds of stories of people I arrested back when I was a policeman in Dallas for shoplifting or other forms of theft. Uh, and, And it came from all walks of life, those who were poor and those who were rich and affluent, Uh, One memorable story that stands out in my mind is when I went into Neiman Marcus. It's a a very high dollar retailer that was in uh, the Galleria of far north Dallas. And as I walked into the store, we got a call on a shoplifter. And walking into the security office as my partner and I came in, uh, the manager is there, the security folks are there, and the person who was caught shoplifting is sitting there. And as soon as I walked in... uh, I was as surprised to see her as she was to see us. She, in fact, said, why are the police here? And as I looked at this woman, uh, she was a very well-known socialite. I won't say her name. If I did, many of you might know who she was. But here she was sitting in her furs, covered in jewelry, and she's sitting here in Neiman Marcus because she tried to steal something in the security office. Now, as soon as she saw us, she said, this is all just a misunderstanding. Look, I, I, I put something in my purse and I forgot to pay for it. I'll, I'll take care of that right now. She reaches into her Gucci bag, not an imitation, one one of the real things. She pulls out a wad of hundreds and she peels off a thousand, drops it onto the table to the manager and says, well, that should take care of it. And he said, no, no, look, we, we've been over this before, he said. So she dropped another thousand. And, and the manager said, ma'am, you do this a lot, and we've talked about it before, and we're going to press charges this time. We warned you last time. See, this woman was what you would call a kleptomaniac. She was somebody who stole. In fact, the Greek word for stealing that we see here that God says not to do is klepto. It's where we get our word kleptomaniac. The word means to steal, to embezzle, or misappropriate. And, and this woman had done this before, and, and they said, you know, you're going to jail this time. So I said to her, I said, ma'am, would you please stand up? And I reached back and I pulled out my handcuffs. And as I did, she said, You're not putting those on me. She said, I'm not a thief. This is all just a misunderstanding. It was a little indiscretion. And I said, Ma'am, the manager wants to press charges. Uh, You have to wear handcuffs to get in the police car and be walked into jail. And eyeing my handcuffs, she said, I don't wear silver. She was a little more disappointed when I told her they were stainless steel. Um, But as we're driving to jail and I'm sitting in the back getting the information for the arrest report, uh, she said to me, you know, you should be arresting them. They're the thieves. The the high prices, the markups, everything that they charge, they're the ones who are stealing. I was just evening things out. Have you ever done that? Have you ever rationalized something? Have you ever renamed it a little? You just kind of go, you know, the prices are so high, it's not stealing. Uh, I didn't take, it was just an indiscretion. Uh, It's really not theft. Don't call me a criminal. I'm not a thief. Or how many times uh, have we made ourselves feel better by saying, you know, it's not hurting anyone. They're just some big box retailer. They make billions of dollars as a company. They're not going to miss it anyway, and it'll sure help me out this week. Have you ever taken something from work and you said, well, I'm overworked or underpaid and I'm I'm just balancing things out? I'm just getting a little bit back from the the company that they owed me anyway. Others of us say, you know, well, I've been paying high insurance premiums for years and I've never had a claim and now I have this high deductible. So what's the harm in padding the claim just a little to make up the difference? Does any of this sound familiar? How many of us steal from our employer, not necessarily by embezzling money, but maybe taking a few office supplies or surfing the Internet or shopping while we're at work and stealing time and productivity from the company? Now, if I'm stepping on anybody's toes this morning, I'm sorry, I'm aiming for your heart. And you're saying, well, Roger, you've gone from preaching to meddling here. (laughs) I'm just talking about what God's word tells us here. You know, sometimes we steal not by shoplifting. Sometimes uh, it's, it's an innocent situation we get placed in. Uh, we're standing there at the checkout canter, counter and they're scanning items. And you kind of notice, oh, that one went by and it didn't get blipped. And you go, score, right? <laughs> or, or do you stop the cashier and say, um, I, I don't think I got charged for that item. You need to run it again. Or, or what about when they give us too much change? Have you ever gotten your change and as you're handing it, uh, they're handing it to you, you kind of see they miscount and gave you a little too much, and do you immediately go, oh, the Lord blessed me today? <laughs> you know, the real blessing comes when we stop the person and say, uh, I think you gave me too much. And in those times where I've, I've done that and said, you gave me too much money back, you know, a lot of times the cashier looks at you like you're crazy, don't they? And they go, why, why would you do that? And it's a wonderful opportunity to say well because i'm a christian and, and and you know you gave me too much money i was at a home improvement store once and i'm checking out and and i paid for an item and the the clerk you know counts back my change and gives me ten dollars too much and and as i'm looking at the money i took the ten out and i handed it back to the the man and i said you gave me ten dollars too much and he said no no that's right and I, I said, no, and I walked him back to the transaction. The item was this much. I gave you that much, and you gave me $10 too much. This is yours. And he goes, no, that's your money. And I said, no, it's your money. And and as he takes the bill from me, he looks me square in the eye, and he smiles. And he said, I visited your church last week, and and I wanted to see what you were going to do. Now, now some of you are sitting here going, you know, I would... You know, I'm glad nobody tests my testimony like that. <laughs> but have you ever stopped to think who's watching you? You know, somebody sees you all the time. And, and people know you're a Christian. Or they know you're a man or a woman of integrity. They know your, your reputation in business or at school. Or, or your, you know, initiative at the base. And people are watching you. And when they do, what do they see? There was a, an old story titled, Someone Sees You, and in it, it, it talks about a man who decided to sneak into his neighbor's fields to, to steal some of the wheat. Now, the man said, if I take just a little from each field, nobody's going to notice. It's not going to do anybody's harm, but, you know, and enough fields, I'm going I'm to gather quite, quite a haul. So he waited for the darkest night when the, the clouds covered the moon, and, and it, was, it was pitch black, and he got his youngest daughter. And he said, honey, you need to come with me to to be a lookout. And if you see somebody coming or if somebody's watching, you tell me, you warn me. So they got into the first field. He began reaping. And before long, the child called out, father, someone sees you. Now, the man dropped down into the the stalks and he looked around and he didn't see anybody. But he thought, well, we've been here long enough. So he gathered up the stuff and he moved on to the next field. And he was doing this again. He was reaping, and suddenly his, his daughter called out, Father, someone sees you. Again, he low crawls through the weed. He's looking around. He doesn't see what's going on, but he, he gathers it up. They move on to the next field. He's not there before long. The little girl cries out again, Father, someone sees you. The man looks around everywhere. He doesn't see any lights, any lamps, any torches. There's nobody around. And, and he says, Honey, why do you keep saying someone sees you? And she said, Daddy, I see you. Parents, how many times have you said to your kids, as you are walking up to the ticket counter and you see, uh, under this age it's this much and over this age it's that much, and you turn to your child and you say, uh, you're 10 years old today. <laughs> or you're in a restaurant and there's that, that menu that says, uh, children 12 and under eat free or this much, and you go, you're 12 today. Or maybe on the other end of the scale, you're approaching that senior discount. And so you go, well, I'm close. They're not going to, you know, card me. So you tell the lady I get the senior coffee or some other discount. As you think about what you're gaining, have you ever thought about what you're losing? How you're teaching your kids to be dishonest and lie and steal? Someone sees you, whether it's your kids whether it's friends at school, co-workers, even acquaintances, even if nobody else sees you, do you know who always sees us? The Lord does. He sees us. And he tells us if we're stealing to stop. In the Old Testament, he talks about one of the ways we steal. In Malachi 3.8, he says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And the Lord says, in tithes and offerings. Now, somebody's sitting here this morning going, I knew it. This is why I don't come to church. All the pastor ever wants is my money. They somehow always find a way to talk about money. And he he had this whole message just to say we need to give more to the church. The offering's already been taken. The plates are not coming around again. If you have a bulletin in your hand, I invite you to open it and look at the financial report because of the generosity of God's people. Uh, We are ahead of budgeted giving. We are below expenses. I'm not talking about this today because we need your money. I'm talking about this today because God talks about it. God talks about stealing. And stealing at its basic definition is taking something that belongs to someone else. And whether we're stealing something off the shelf of a store or we're taking something like what God has entrusted to us, Our time, our talents, our treasures all come from the Lord. The breath we have in our body, the the strength we have in our hands, the skill that we have. Yes, you've worked hard. You work hard to do those things, but they ultimately come from the Lord. And all that we have is something that belongs to the Lord. We're simply managers. We've been entrusted with it. And what God says is, these are things that you give to me, not because you have to, that you give to me as a form of worship. A tithe that its very basic form was an acknowledgement that another person was superior to you. It's why Abraham gave to Melchizedek 10%, that standard of acknowledging you stand in as the priest of the Lord. So all that we're talking about here today uh, is where we take something that belongs to another, in a previous church that I pastored, I, I had a businessman who came to me one day. It was right after tax season in April, and, and, he, and he said to me, he, he smiled, and he said, you know, Roger, I, I cheated on my taxes so I could have more money to give to the church. Now, he didn't quite say it that way. The way he said it is he, he filled out his forms in a, in a way that had a more favorable position so that he could have more resource to invest in the Lord's work. And you know what I said to the man? Not good job. I said, God wants you to refile your taxes. He wants you to take the money that you were going to give to our ministry and pay it to the government. And you know why I know that? Because Jesus said, render to Caesar what is Caesar, and render to the Lord what is the Lord's. Jesus told people in the first century, pay your taxes. Now you may say, well, Roger, listen, we have this unrighteous government, and they spend my money, they waste my money, and they, they put it toward things I don't believe in, and so I know God doesn't want my money going over there. Do you remember who was in power when Jesus said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's? It was the Romans. The Romans were uh, oppressing the Jews as the church was beginning. They were trying to stamp it out and wipe it out. Uh, You talk about an oppressive government using, you know, the people's money for something that was against what the Lord wanted. But he said, "If if you're cheating on your taxes, you're stealing. And he says, steal no more. God doesn't want us giving away what belongs to others, but instead we are to give from our own labors, as we're told in verse 28. And as we do this, as we're told not to steal, I want you to notice there's also a positive command here. He calls on us to share with those who are in need. He says, labor so that you have something to share with others who have need. Now, in the book of Acts, we saw in chapter 2 and verses 44 through 45 what this looked like. In Acts 2, you'll recall that as the early church was gathering and people were coming together, it says, and all all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Now, this isn't advocating a welfare system, where some come around and just sit around and wait and say, well, you work hard and I have a need, so... You know, feed me or, or, or give me your stuff. The Bible also talks about our responsibility. It says in Second Thessalonians 3 10 and 11 If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. You see, if somebody's sitting around in their able body and, and are not working, you're, you're not to support those people. But there are people in our society, single moms and dads, people who are doing everything they can to support a family and, 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 and pull the load of, of raising a family, and they're struggling. There are others who are working really hard in low-paying jobs, and, and they're doing the best they can, but they still fall short. And it's in those times that we who have are to share with those who have need. Now I'm thankful that Wayside Chapel is a church that does that. We have so many ways that this body demonstrates what we're talking about, where we share with those who are in need. One of those is the agape ministry. It's a financial helps for people who are a part of our church who find themselves in an in an emergency situation or a shortfall. And again, it's not a blind passing out of the resources you've stewarded to this ministry. There is a committee, a confidential committee that reviews needs. And part of what they do is they come alongside the individual. And they say, we want to help you. They, they look at the finances of the person. They say, what, what is coming in? What is going out? They help them with money management as well as helping with, with the short-term need. We do it through a food pantry that we have here. We do it through uh, other physical helps where there's a, a group called the Amen Ministry or the Oil Change Ministry for Single Moms and Widows where these are little things that, that step in and bridge the gap and help people in some amazing ways. It happens in our adult Bible fellowships. It happens in our small groups. There are times people are a part of one of these smaller communities within our larger community that we as the the leadership of the church never even know there's a need because those who know the people and are around them, surround them, provide meals and financial and physical helps. So these are some of the ways that we see people applying what we read here. God tells us to labor, performing with your own hands what is good in order that you may have something to share with him who has need. Now, speaking of sharing with those who are in need, I want to tie in what we're talking about here to what we looked at last week where we talked about our speech. Because we saw that one of the things that is, is that our speech is to be that which is edifying, that which builds people up rather than tearing somebody down. And related to that and this issue of stealing, uh, Chuck Swindoll asked this question. Have you been stealing the silverware again? And you're going, what are you talking about, Roger? Well, stay with me. Chuck Swindoll says, now don't get huffy and don't deny it. You know you went over to your friend's house last night and you shamelessly pocketed their new set of Oneida knives, forks, and spoons, didn't you? Still pleading innocent? Well, I didn't want to have to do this, but you leave me no choice. And then he says, Julia Setton, would you share with us what you told Uh, earlier about grumbling and silverware and she shares we have no more right to put our discontent states of mind into the lives of those around us and rob them of their sunshine and brightness than we have to enter into their house and steal their silverware you see swindoll says now look in your pockets and see what's there surprise now how did all that silverware get in there well i'll tell you we all do it grumble, that is. We step into a friend's home or office and we steal their joy blind with all kinds of complaining. We're not sharing burdens and seeking counsel. Grumblers don't do that. They don't like disclosing their faults and seeking help with their problems. We want to utter a few discontented mutterings, pick up the silverware, and leave. Now, that's a little different view on stopping stealing than the main part that we're talking about, the klepto taking and misappropriating. But I want you to stop and ask yourself for a moment, are you somebody who robs others of their joy by the way you complain or the words that you speak, as we talked about last week? Or are we those who um, take goods or material possessions that are not ours? What about bootlegging music, videos? software. What are the ways that we steal? Whatever it is we're doing, God says, stop stealing. We talked last week about not letting our speech look like Satan. Remember, he was called the father of lies. Well, this issue of stealing plays into that as well. Uh, We're to model Christ, not our enemy. In John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and might have it abundantly. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning saying, you know, Roger, I've I've had a problem with stealing, with theft, with slander or anger or some of these other sins that we talked about in previous parts of this passage. So what am I supposed to do? I'm, I'm one of those people who's been guilty. I want you to look at the cross of Jesus Christ. I want you to remember that as Jesus was crucified, as Jesus was nailed to that cross on a hillside, there were two other crosses, one on either side of him, that held criminals, career criminals, two men who were condemned to die for their past, people who had been thieves, murderers, who knows all that they were guilty of. They were men who deserved to die. They were guilty. And as they were dying and Christ was in the middle dying, one of them was mocking the Lord, but the other one, you'll recall, turned to Jesus. And he said to him, I believe you're who you say you are. You're the Lord. You're the Savior. You're the one who came to die. And he said, this day, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. He's saying, I believe when you die, you're going to rise from the dead. You're going to be in heaven. And he said, remember me. And do you recall what Christ did? He turned to that thief and he said, this day you will be with me in paradise. He said, because of your faith, you're forgiven. And some of you here have, have a, a list of sins you could list and you could say, I'm guilty of these things. And what God says to you this morning is, is if you turn from your sins and you turn to him to be your savior, you'll be forgiven. In 1 John 1, 9, he says, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. He offers you forgiveness for your sins. He offers you forgiveness for your past. In order to give you just a tiny picture of what Christ has done for us, I want to close with this story. It happened in 1935 in New York City. LaGuardia was the mayor of New York at the time. And he walked into one of the uh, courts of the, the day. It was, it was a, a petty theft court in the poorest ward of the city. And it was a night court. And LaGuardia walked in and he said to the judge sitting on the bench, uh, take the night off. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to run the courtroom tonight. I'll, I'll clear the caseload. So the judge went home and LaGuardia got on the bench and cases were presented to him. And one of the people coming forward was this older woman wearing tattered clothes. And as she stood before the bench, LaGuardia looked at her and said, what did you do? And she said... Um, I stole a loaf of bread he said you took a loaf of bread why'd you do that and she said your honor i'm i'm, I'm sorry i I'm, i i had to she said my my daughter is sick her husband's deserted the family the grandkids are starving and i had no money to buy bread and the mayor turned to the shopkeeper who was there and said you've heard this woman's story he said would you show mercy and drop the charges And the shopkeeper said, absolutely not. He said, my shop is in the poor part of the city where people come in, and if if they heard that I forgave this woman, then I would be overrun with thieves. People would think I'm weak. She has to be prosecuted. LaGuardia looked at the woman, and he sighed. And, And he said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. $10 fine or 10 days in jail. And then he took his hat that was on the bench and he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a $10 bill. And dropping it in the hat, he said these words. Here's the $10 fine which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in the courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. And then he handed his hat to the bailiff and he instructed him to collect the fines and give everything to the defendant. Now the, the New York paper reported on this the next day, and it said $47.50 were turned over to a bewildered old grandmother who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. Making forced donations were a red-faced storekeeper, 70 petty criminals, and a few New York City policemen. Friends, when God left heaven and came to earth, it wasn't just to go to the poorest ward of New York City. He came to the world. And he came as our savior, as well as our judge. the Bible is clear, God is a holy and just God, and sin has to be punished. And he knew the only way it could be paid, the only way the penalty of sin called death could be paid is if he paid it himself. And so Jesus willingly went to the cross, and he paid the penalty of death that we owe. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but... But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're here this morning and you've made mistakes in your life, you've stolen something, you've slandered people, you've been angry, you've done all the things that the Bible says not to do. It's not just the Ten Commandments. There are 613 commandments in the Bible. Every one of us here has sinned. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God we all owe a penalty of death. And Christ came and he went to the cross to pay the penalty for you and me. And he offers that forgiveness to you this morning. If you will turn from your sins and to him to be your savior. And if you do that, you're adopted into the family of God. You're given the gift of eternal life. And once we come to the Lord of life, he says, change your life For all of us here who are believers, he says, don't keep living according to your old dead way of life. Stop sinning. Turn from your sins and walk with me. Will you join me, please, as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word. Your word that is a light that shines into the darkness and convicts us of the mistakes we've made. Father, we're all guilty of the sin of stealing at some level. And we thank you, Lord, that you offer us all forgiveness for those sins. If we'll turn from our sins and to your son to be our savior. And so I pray this morning, Father, if there's anyone here who's not yet come to faith in Jesus. They would recognize that you love them like they are, that you love them so much you came, as Romans 5, 8 says, and demonstrated your own love for us in this while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Jesus, you died to free every one of us here from that penalty of death. But it requires that we turn from our sin to you to be our Savior. So I pray, Lord, that those who are here would come to know your Son, that today would be the day of salvation for even one who's not yet come to you. And Father, for the rest of us who have come to faith, you tell us to stop sinning, to stop stealing, and to take and share what we have with others. Lord, it's not a forced donation. You're not Mary LaGuardia sitting on the bench saying everybody here has to pony up and pay. But Father, as those who have received the gift of grace, may we in turn share that with others as well. Send us out of here now, Lord, as those who are your people, living in a way that reflects who you are. We pray these things in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ.